You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you for that great song. I'm thankful for the Lamb that was slain for us before the foundation of the, of the world. And uh, it was... It was it part of God's plan from the, from the very beginning. It wasn't one of those things that, you know, he said, oh, oh, now I have to have a plan. No, that was God's plan from before the foundation of the world, is to send his son, Jesus Christ. And let's not lose sight of that and the difference that it makes in our lives. Thank you for that song this evening. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you turn, if you would stand, please, and in uh, honor of the reading of God's Word, out of respect of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read, begin reading in verse 1 here. And uh, we'll read down through the end of the chapter just so you, you have an idea of the whole thing and won't have to spend as much time reviewing as we go through. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 And it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And are we in the last days, you believe? I I think a mark of the last days is what we're about to see in these next few verses. But Timothy and Paul were in the last days too. Uh, The last days started way back then. It's not like it's new for us. But when you look at these marks, it's pretty obvious. Let's look at verse 2. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Is that happening today? Yeah, covetous, you see in that for sure, boasters, proud, blasphemers, absolutely, disobedient to parents. And, you know, kids in this room here tonight, I, I, I read a similar passage in Sunday school, and in all of these terrible sins, it's listed disobedience to, disobedience to parents. And don't, don't lose sight of the fact that your obedience to your parents Um, has much to do with the way that God blesses the rest of your life, even potentially the length of your life. Your honoring of your parents, kids, in this room here tonight, don't lose sight of how important that one is. Disobedient to parents, he says, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, Petty, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses... So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. And I love this verse. Because you know, we're talking about all of these signs of the last, the, the last days, perilous times. And, and he even uses a couple of names that most people believe. Janice and Jambres that withstood Moses. They believe that those were magicians in Egypt that withstood Moses to his face. And, and, and uh, they had this... They had uh, resistance to the truth and they were trying to duplicate what God was doing through Moses. But they were men of corrupt minds. 
reprobate concerning the faith, and that's happening still. But I love how he says, they shall proceed no further. Meaning that it will soon come to pass, it will come to light exactly what they are. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But, but, and here we have a switch here, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now that's quite a different contrast from the list we read earlier. You know, you think about men, lovers of themselves and covetous and boasters and heady and high-minded and blasphemers. But Paul says, but you've observed me. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering and charity and so on and so on. A very contrasting list here. Verse 12 says, says Yea, and all that, live in, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wor- wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, Timothy, but, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom Thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy obviously had learned and been assured of some things from the people that had taught him in his life. And obviously this is talking about Paul, but it also is referring to his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They're back up in verse 5 of chapter 1. Timothy had had a lot invested in him. He had a lot had give, been given a lot, and Paul was saying, "Continue in the things which thou hast learned from a child. You've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus." And then he ends with kind of the capstone of the chapter: "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect." Truly furnished unto all good works. What a great chapter. What an, I mean, it's, it, in the middle of tough times, uh, Paul gives Timothy some very uh, rich, encouraging messages here. And again, the capstone is the Word of God. That the Word of God is where we find our foundation. But what I find to be interesting is that Paul pointed to something else in the chapter for Timothy to look at. And for Timothy to follow. See, the word of God is what he was to be following. But Timothy had examples of the word of God being lived out in the lives of people around him. And that's what Paul tells Timothy to look to. And we're going to look at that thought. And I'm calling it tonight the pressure of the proven. The pressure of the proven. Go ahead and be seated. I appreciate your standing. We live in a culture in which it's much more accepted to take down fences than it is to put them up. You know, the primary example of that is in the area of morality. And I want you to consider, for those that have been alive for any length of time, consider some of the moral fences that have come down in our country in just the last 20 years or so. 
I mean, think about where we are in the year 2020. And I look back on my high school years, and I thought it was bad then, but there's stuff going on now in high schools that weren't going on in high school, uh, in my high school 20, 25 years ago. I mean, we've come a long way very quickly. A lot of fences, moral fences, have come down. I don't have to convince you of that tonight. It's also true in church culture. In many churches now, the, mature, the majority trend is most certainly about loosening things up rather than tightening things down. And the call to replace the traditional in favor of the modern has certainly become the norm, even among churches that maybe some of you used to attend. Uh, there's been a loosening, there's been a rejection of the traditional in favor of the modern and uh, many churches that we would have once labeled conservative have kind of kicked down a lot of the fences um, that were put up in those churches over the last four or five decades and now they've come down very quickly in order to keep up with the times and as a pastor there's very real pressure to take down fences I'm just telling you I mean from from a pastor to a congregation there is a real pressure to loosen things rather than tighten things up. And, and it's a real and relentless pressure. And, and I know you would say, well, you know, you don't have to. I understand that, but when you, when you live in the environment that we live in, in the culture that we live in, in order just to make a service palatable for most people that are walking in, uh, they're, they're coming into something in this place that seems very foreign to them. Most people have never been exposed to a more traditional type service when they come to Eastside Baptist Church. There's, there's real pressure uh, to make it more palatable. There's pressure from the outside and there's external pressure, not just um, from church, the church environment, but there's moral pressure. Uh, you think about the last days and we already talked about them and how Paul and Timothy lived in the last days as well. And I'm not going to go through that list again. Uh, I don't think I have to convince you that we have seen moral fences come down at a faster rate in our country than at any other point in our history. Uh, you think about the, the gender issues and you think about uh, the, the homosexuality in our country. And, and I was amazed, you know, even just this week on vacation, um, how, how prevalent that lifestyle has become. I mean, it's everywhere that you, you look, it's, it's all over. And, and it was something that used to be kept secret or was hidden. And now it's... it's it's lauded if you do it out in the open and if you and everyone the world just knows you live it loud you know and the more fences that come down folks the more different we're going to look see if we stay the same if we stay the same where we are and yet everywhere else the fences are coming down even if we stay the same we look more and more different and the more different we look the more pressure we start to feel and I, I mean, I'm just even something I've noticed in, in recent months, uh, we've had, and this has happened multiple times, we have guests that come in and, and they'll even come for Sunday school and they leave right after Sunday school. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to take that, not trying to take that personally, because it's usually in here that they're sitting. But, you know, they haven't seen services like this and it's, it's not modern enough or it's not loose enough. For many people. And it's a different setting than what most churches are. And we have, it, it, you feel the pressure. I mean, the more, the, the more that they change and the more we stay the same, the more we feel different, the more we stand out. 
And Timothy was facing that pressure. And he was facing that pressure, not just the moral fences coming down, but he was facing religious pressure. Um, Paul even talks about in verse 5 that there are those that have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. He's saying there are those that look the part, um, but they, there's no power behind it, Timothy. And I don't believe there's ever been a greater pressure to rely more on appearance than, than reality than in this age right now. And, and I say that because you think about our society, think about how dependent we are on images in our society. Screens in our society are everywhere, and we, we project um, images on the walls here, and, and I think we do it in a balanced way, but, but in most churches it's very graphic-based or video-based, and, or they're posting things online. It's all through a screen, it's all through media. The conditions are ripe to breed a lot of pretenders in this culture. It's easy to pretend if you're on social media and all it takes is for you to take a picture of yourself and then project whatever you want. We're breeding, a culture is breeding pretender after pretender. It's easier now to pretend than it's ever been. And the pressure increases the more it happens. It did for Timothy. I mean, it was so much that Paul said, those that have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. Because they look the part, but, they, but they're not real. It's not real. And then he talks about how they're creeping into homes and they're leading the weak-minded away. And, and by the way, I, I think we ought to be always uh, on guard about maybe not someone coming into our home to lead us away. Um, but I think there are, there are countless church members uh, in, in good, fundamental, independent Baptist churches like ours that are being convinced of other things through YouTube in their own homes. And you've got YouTube preachers out there that are preaching about things and, and planting seeds of, of, of uh, doubt in people's minds and, and kind of in, very, in many ways they're undermining the authority of the local church and it's happening through something like YouTube. You know, back then they were literally going into the homes and all it, just, all it takes is you on your phone now. For to be to be convinced of something that may or may not be true, or to have your heart be led away to something else, or to someone else that that is not your your pastor, not your local church, and I've seen it happen in, in places. In verse eight, he compares the work of those deceivers to some magicians, uh, who I believe these are magicians trying to mimic the work of God, and and they were just it was all image. They were of corrupt minds, it says, and there in verse eight, they were reprobate, and that word reprobate. It means not standing the test. Reprobate means not approved or unproven. It means that in the end, they will be proven for what they are. And listen, just like Timothy, the heat is on us. The pressure is real. Uh, Moral pressure, doctrinal pressure, spiritual pressure. We face pressure regarding our positions and regarding our philosophies. And again, there's not, the more that we stay the same, and the more the, the world changes and the more churches change, the more different we look. There's pressure like crazy. Pressure to shift with an ever-changing culture. Pressure to keep up with a church culture, uh, the, the direction everybody else is going. And for Paul and Timothy, it wasn't just pressure to change. They were facing persecution. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution And evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. He says it right here in this chapter. And we're not dealing with that kind of heat yet, with that kind of pressure yet, but the moral loosening and the growing intolerance for exclusive truth 
It won't be long when we will be trying to decide where we stand because persecution will come someday in our country. We're already facing um, ostracism for, for claiming to have exclusive truth or just to stand up now and say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I mean, you talk about controversy now. Because everyone says, and I've used this in Sunday school, but everybody's mindset when it comes to what they believe is they start with two words. They say, well, to me, to me, and, and it's not anything founded in God's word. It's to me, it's what I think, well, my way. And so for me to stand or you to tell somebody when you knock on the door on team three on Saturday, week three, when whatever team you end up on and you knock on a door and you invite somebody to church and, and you give them a track that talks about Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven, you have just uh, potentially caused an offense because you're not allowed to say that you have truth and somebody else doesn't have truth. I mean, that's the culture we live in. Pressure will someday turn to persecution because we claim to have truth. So what's the problem with all of it? Well, the problem is that people tend to fold under pressure. When the pressure is on, it gets tough to stand. And you can tell by Paul's challenges to Timothy, and I'm not going to read all the statements, but Paul is about to go off the scene. This is the last letter Paul wrote. Uh, he talks about in verse 4 how he's fought the good fight. He's finished his course. He's kept the faith. There's laid up for him a crown of righteousness. He's about to go off the scene. And he's going to be no longer helping Timothy. He won't be there supporting Timothy anymore. And so he's using phrases like, Timothy, hold fast. Be strong. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Labor like a husbandman. Study like a workman. Shun the profane and vain babblings. Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness. Avoid the foolish and unlearned questions. Watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Those, that's the language Paul is using. Because he's about to be gone, and Timothy's about, as a young pastor, about to be on his own. And he won't have the support or the help of, of Paul. See, what Paul is doing, and we get to start getting into the thought tonight, what Paul is doing with Timothy is countering the external pressure with a little pressure of his own. He's countering all the external pressure that's coming at Timothy all the time with a little bit of pressure of his own. See, Paul was about to be gone. He knew that Timothy needs some strengthening. And whether or not we realize it, under the weight of external pressure, we need some counter-pressure. Or we'll be crushed. We need, so Paul starts imply, applying some internal pressure. And he starts by focusing on the nature of the external pressure in verse 9, when he says, but they shall proceed no further. Timothy, I just want you to, to remind you, that those that seem like you know, they're applying the pressure, they look godly and they're in the homes and leading people away and they're producing works that look like God, uh, they will proceed no further. Their folly will be manifest unto all men as those men back with Moses were. The unproven pressure. It hasn't proven itself is what, Tim, is what Paul basically calls it by using the word reprobate and saying their, their folly will be manifest. He's saying it's unproven pressure and that unproven pressure will eventually be revealed for what it is. They're not proven right now, Timothy, but one day they will be. The folly of the unproven pressure is going to be revealed. And then he gives a contrast in verses 10 and 11 when he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. 
My purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. And he talks about persecutions and afflictions in these different places. And he says, and, and so on this hand, you've got this external pressure that seems really heavy. But someday it will be proven to, be, to have no substance to it. But on the other hand, Timothy, you have my pressure and, and you've, you've watched God deliver me. You've watched me endure through all of the pressure in these places. So what Paul is doing is he's pointing out the difference. The external pressure, it's loud and it's heavy and it creates a lot of heat. But it, it will someday be proven for what it is. But you've actually, though, Timothy, you've watched me. And, and I'm going to give you a kind of pressure to counter that. See, he says, you have fully known my doctrine. In other words, Timothy, you were with me in these places. You traveled with me. We were on missionary trips together. Timothy had served with Paul. He had observed him up close. So what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you've known my doctrine. You've heard my teachings. You've seen my manner of life, the conduct that I, con- I con- conducted my life with, the things, the behavior that I, that I acted with, the, the words that I said, the spirit that I had. You've seen my purpose or my reasons for why I do what I do. You've seen my faith and my faithfulness. My faithfulness. You've seen my long-suffering or how I, I didn't just jump into things. I, you've seen my charity, how I love people. You've seen my patience or my, persecu- my perseverance through difficulties. And then he talks about persecutions and you watch them chase me is what he's saying. You watch me chase me. You watch them chase me everywhere. You watch them catch me. You tr- watch them try to kill me. At times you probably thought I was dead. He says, my afflictions, you saw those too. You watched me suffer. He says, you've fully known all of these things, and yet through the persecutions you watched me endure. In the end, Timothy, I'm still standing. That's what he's saying. See, that word endure means to bear up underneath or carry or be under a heavy load placed on one's shoulders. Timothy had watched Paul withstand and be delivered from seriously heavy pressure. And Paul uses that as motivation for Timothy. He says, in the face of all the unproven pressure that's coming to you from the outside, Timothy, then remember the example you have of what is proven. My life has been proven. God's word working in me. You've seen me through all the pressure. You've watched me endure. And what Paul is doing is he's trying to fortify Timothy's positions in the face of pressure. And I'm just going to call them fences tonight. He's fortifying Timothy. And he's saying, you've seen my doctrine. And and we'll just say that this is a a section of the fence. And and so what Paul is is saying is that when when you were with me and you heard my teachings, it was like I set up a fence post. And this this would be a good fence post. I'm going to use it. So I set up a fence post right here. And then I put up a panel of the fence. We're going to call this doctrine. So you heard my teachings and you heard what I, you heard what I taught about God. And, 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 and he starts with God's word. He says, you heard what I taught. So here's a panel or a post and here's a panel of the fence. Here's another post. And he says, we're going to call this part of the fence the doctrine. And, and this is a fence that I put up for you. In other words, uh, Timothy, you heard me teach these things. You heard me teach truth. I I didn't teach of my own accord. I didn't teach my own opinions. I taught God's word, which is where we're supposed to start. And that's a fence, Timothy, that I put up in your life. I put up these doctrines. And then he says, and then you watch me then put up another another post right here. And I'm going to call this, Timothy, my manner of life. 
which is the way that I conducted myself, the way that I acted. So he puts up a post and he puts up a fence and he says, this is the second part of the fence. And then he goes on and says, uh, my purpose. He says, so then you saw the reason I did why I did. And he puts up another post and it puts up another panel. And he comes over here and he says, you saw my faith. He puts up a post. He puts up a, a panel. You saw my charity. He puts up a post. He puts up a panel. You, you, see my, you saw my long suffering. You, you saw all of these things through the afflictions, through the persecutions, the way that I dealt with people, my patience. And he says, what I was doing, Timothy, or what I want you to consider those things to be is I want you to consider that to be a fence around your life. You've got doctrine and manner of life and purpose and faith and long-suffering and charity. And, and Timothy, you have seen the way it's supposed to be. You have this, this, place that, this place that I have built for you. You observed it. You watched me put these things up, even through afflictions, these, pen, these fence posts, these panels. Listen, they were strong enough for me to remain under immense pressure. So in other words, they're proven, Timothy. The doctrine that I taught, that fence panel, it's been proven. The manner of life that I set up for you, it's been proven. The long-suffering, the faith, the patience, the, the manner of life, the purpose, all of these. Timothy, I built for you a fence that's proven itself. And then he says in verse 14, what does he say? but continue thou in. So his message to Timothy is continue in. Well, continue where? In what things? Well, my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, and so on. Why? Because they're proven. Continue there because they have, you have been assured. He says in verse 14, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So how, Timothy, have you been persuaded that the things I put in your life are strong enough and, and, and are able to withstand the pressure? How do you know? Well, he says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. See, Paul's challenge for Timothy to continue in the fences that Paul has given him and, and that he's learned, it was due to the fact that he had watched Paul's positions be proven over and over. He'd watched him endure afflictions. He'd watched him be delivered through all of his, his trials and affliction. Timothy had literally watched Paul prove his positions through the word of God. He'd endured under great pressure. He had felt the heat. And, and like a submerged submarine under immense pressure, way down there underwater, Paul's pressure hole had remained uncompromised. And so all of the external pressures, Paul's saying all these external pressures outside the fence... They have not proven themselves. They seem strong and they seem like they're kind of coming at you from all sides, Timothy. All of these pressures outside the fence, they're loud, they're strong, they're creating a lot of heat. But I'm telling you, their folly will be manifest. They have not proven themselves yet. But you have seen in me through my doctrine and my manner of life and my, and my purpose and my, and my long-suffering and my faith and my charity, you have seen something that's proven itself because through all those afflictions and all the persecutions, I'm still standing. Amen. And he's trying to give him this very clear picture. He says, listen, why would you continue out there? Continue right where you are. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom 
thou hast learned them. And so I, I call this the pressure of the proven. You've got out there pressure of the unproven. But this fence right here, it's the pressure of the proven. We ultimately remain standing because of God's word. But according to Paul, it's valid to be assured of our positions based on who we receive them from. If they are left standing, if they've proven themselves, then I can stand there too. And if their positions were good enough for them, their positions are good enough for me. See, Paul bore the scars. He fought the battles. He had endured. It's the pressure of the proven. And Paul was saying, remember what I taught at Antioch. Remember the way I treated that situation. Remember that in Iconium. Remember my purpose and my faith there at Lystra. Remember my routines in the mornings. Remember my spirit when I would teach in the synagogues. Remember how I would pray and how often I would fast. Remember how I wouldn't eat certain meat. Continue there, Timothy. Continue in those places. Paul is applying the pressure of the proven. Now, I don't consider myself young, but I am young as a pastor. And I would do well to continue in the things that I've learned if for no other reason than the fact that those who have gone before me have proven it. See, the problem is, it's almost as if there's a tendency these days to begrudge the pressure of the proven and be open to the pressure of the unproven. It's like in verse 9, he says, they'll proceed no further, their folly shall be manifest. And we see that, that external pressure, it hasn't proven itself. But the culture comes at us with all these big ideas and good ideas and trends that haven't been proven yet. But it seems like we're all about trying the new stuff out and we kind of begrudge what we've had the whole time. And we have to be careful of the tendency to toss aside the old for the new just because the new is shinier. I mean, just because it's new, it doesn't mean it mean it better. But due to the pressure, the temptation is to start kicking down the fences. Taking these, bear, these things down um, that we were given that have been proven so we can try something new. So we can embrace the trend and, and see if it works. And what we do is we take down these fences, we start kicking them down without ever start stopping to think why they were put up in the first place. And in all the pressure, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that men have gone before that, that have proven it. They've proven it in their doctrine, in their manner of life, in their faith, and through afflictions. They fought battles. They stood their ground. They've been faithful to the word and the Lord has helped them endure. And before you say, well, you're just a follower of men, this is not my argument. Paul wrote this. So when we get to heaven, if you think it's not a valid argument, you go find him and you talk to him about it. This is his argument. See, I'm not saying they're perfect. I mean, the things, the people that have gone before us, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're proven. And in these perilous times, the external pressure is getting worse and worse and worse. Evil men wax worse and worse. And listen, I need the balance. As a pastor, I need some internal pressure to counter the external pressure coming at me. I need something to counter what's coming at our church from all sides. We all need some internal pressure. And a valid place to get it is from the positions of the people that have gone before us that have proven it. 
So some examples of pressure of the proven in my own life. I mean, as a pastor, I've already faced uh, uh, quite a few situations in which my positions on doctrine or standards or the approach to ministry um, have been questioned. You know, I was sitting with a group of pastors in one of my first pastor's lunches, and one of them asked me, okay, so what's your stand on, on the Lord's Supper? Right in front of everybody. And, I mean, in that moment, I mean, I'm like, I, I like the Lord's Supper. I think it's a good... <laughs> it's good. By the way, we're going to have, have uh, the first one since I've been here the week before Easter, and I'm excited about it. I think it's important for a church. But in that moment, I mean, I wasn't thinking, oh, chapter, verse. I was thinking, oh, what have the men that had gone before me taught me about it? What was their position? And, and, I, and that gave me confidence to have a good answer. I've sat with people in my office, and they're asking, why should I have to be rebaptized? You know, I, I have a baptism from a church. It's a good church. And, you know, and, and my position is, I, I believe we start with Baptist baptism. I know that's not popular these days, and, and, and yet I have to sit there and talk to people. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not, oh, I don't know how I can explain this the right way, but, but my mind goes back to times I spent with my pastor in people's living rooms and hear him explain it and articulate it, and I use it because he's proven himself. You know, and dress standards. As those are hard things to navigate, church. I, I know sometimes you think it's, you know, it's easy when you're the one in charge and you just get to make all the rules. No, there's pressure. But see, what, we, what you may not think about sometimes is that as the pastor, I'm not just thinking about a dress standard for this activity or, or for this group or when we take kids to camp or, or how to, you know, we ask our teachers in junior church and, our, and to, the ladies to, to dress in a feminine way uh, on Sunday mornings. I think that's a fitting thing to do. And, and it's not because... We're trying to make life miserable, um, but we want to con- convince those kids um, that come in from a culture that never sees femininity. The only place they're going to see it is either on the bathroom symbol when they go to the bathroom or at church. So it's not a bad thing for us then to stand, uh, to, ladies, to stand there and show these kids growing up in a godless culture what a woman ought to look like. I'm not saying it's a matter of spirituality either. I'm saying it's a matter of femininity. And has there ever been a more important time for us to, to 100% show the world what gender God made us? No. It's important. But those standards, they're not easy to come to as a pastor. It's hard sometimes to decide where to draw the lines, but I, I can't just think about um, you know, what would be appropriate for this situation or that. I have to think long term. And if we take a fence down, I mean, where does that lead in the future? It's not just about judgment and it's not just about um, spirituality. It's, a, it's about thinking down the road. And I've been approached with things like that and I, I, every week I'm, I, I go back to what I was taught in homiletics and how to approach a text because I'm telling you there are a lot of easier ways to approach a text than trying to find out what the text is actually saying. I could just pick a point out and preach it. It'd be a lot easier. It'd be a lot less stress. But in my mind, I think about what someone taught me in Bible college. 
No, you want, you want to give people something they can feed on, then you need to give them what God intended through the text and not just pick a hobby horse and preach it. I mean, with church direction, all these things, when, the, when these things come to me, I usually see the faces of the, of the men I've learned from. And they've proven themselves. So how dare I go around kicking the fences down that they gave me when they've proven themselves? Through doctrine and manner of life and purpose and afflictions and ministry philosophy and music philosophy, local church ordinance. And, you know, I, I didn't get them off the Internet. I, my positions, I got them from men whose lives have proven it. Not perfect, proven. And, you know, I, can I just say, I willingly accept the pressure for a lot of reasons. See, a lot of guys, a lot of new pastors, young pastors, they begrudge the pressure and they say, well, all you ever do on Twitter is, is talk down on the young guys because we're doing things a little bit differently. No, I embrace the pressure. I'm thankful for it because the world's pressure is not going away. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to counter it. I, I, I stand where I do uh, from, in, for many reasons, but number one, obviously because of the Lord and his word. But I mean, two, my last name's Jet. And my dad has proven it for years. So why would I place more confidence in the things over the fence, outside the fence, the unproven pressure? Why would I reach over for those things when my dad, who gave me many fences in my life, has proven himself for decades in God's work? Wayne Hardy, my former pastor in Stillwater, gave me a lot of fences. As a staff member, I didn't always appreciate the fences. But I look back now and I think he's proven himself to me. He's endured I think of Phil Spencer. And you know him better than I do. But he set up some fences. And I hope that you've seen, I haven't come in, come, come in to Eastside Baptist Church kicking a bunch of things down because of Phil Spencer, I mean, his life has proven himself. And unless I have a better reason or a deliberate reason or God leads me, I'm not just going to come in and wipe the slate clean and change everything. Because Phil Spencer has proven himself. Other men in my life that have been instrumental, men like Dave Hardy, who's preached here before. Sam Davison, my father-in-law. I married Aaron. Her dad is a pastor, and he's influenced me in many ways. And when I think about fences, I'm not just thinking about uh, things I, you know, I want to take down. I'm thinking about men who have proven themselves, and they've given me these things. Why would I go reaching over the fence when I have fences that have been proven? And this is pressure I accept of my own accord because it's proven. And I need something to balance the pressure that's trying to get me to kick fences down. And I hope that gives you an idea of my ministry philosophy. See, I, I'm using an illustration that I think is a help to it. When, when we were in Stillwater there, we, after eight or nine years, seven years, I think, we bought some property and we paid the property off and then once the property was paid off, we had, uh, it was about three and a half acres when we started. We ended up with about seven. Um, but we bought this, this track of land east of town, and it was a really nice spot. I mean, really nice land, trees everywhere. And on the east end of the property, there was a lake. And it was a pretty good-sized lake. It was a watershed pond, and it was a, probably 20 acres. So surface area, so pretty big on the, on the east side of the property. And... I mean, we had all kinds of wildlife. We had bald eagles flying overhead. I mean, 
uh, it was, it, we had bobcats and deer and, and just, it was awesome. Okay, it was awesome. We loved it. But when we bought the property, the lake was there on the east side. Uh, the, one of the first things I, I noticed was a fence that was running through the water. And it kind of bothered me that there was a fence there. It was like, we don't have access to the water. Well, let's fast forward a few years later. And we started, uh, we had a major drought come in. And we weren't connecting these things together, but, but after a few years there on the property, we started having more wildlife, uh, but these were a little tamer. We started having problems with cows. We would wake up in the morning. The first time I noticed it, I woke up and I was going for a jog in the morning and, and I got out there and I'm kind of half asleep and it usually you know, doesn't take much to convince me not to go jogging, but this morning, for some reason, I had some resolve, so I got out there, and I started running, and I hear something rustling in the bushes, in the trees next to our house, and I look, and there's a cow staring at me, and so I startle him, and he startled me, and he started running away from me up the road, but I was, he just happened to be running on the road that I was going running on, too, and pretty soon, all of his friends came out of the trees, and they all joined him on the road. So I'm just running like, what is happening? You know, it's early. I, I can't really wrap my mind around it. I'm kind of, you know, being careful where I step. And there's about 30 cows and it, they think I'm chasing them. They just happen to be going where I'm going. So we go up to the first turn and I'm turning left. And before we get there, at, the cows got there before me, they turned left. So I just followed them, kept following them down that turn. We get to the next turn and the cows, they turn right. Well, I'm turning right. That's where I'm going. So I follow them. That, so now we're just out for a jog together. 30 cows. And I, I mean, somebody had driven by. I have no idea what they would have thought. Just like, what is this guy doing? I'm just chasing 30 cows down the road. It was weird. They eventually got tired of, of jogging. And for some reason, I hadn't quit by that point. So they kind of scattered. And I just went around them. And they just looked at me. And I just... I don't know what's happening. It was weird. A couple days later, my wife goes out early in the morning, and she was not ready for the day. She was kind of staggering. Who knows what she was doing outside? But she comes around the corner, and there's a cow, and the cow sees her, and she sees the cow, and they both scare each other. And the cow takes off. Actually, she goes chasing the cow. She's, I think, nine months pregnant at this point. Forgot to mention that point. And don't mess with a pregnant woman. So she chases the cow away from the house, and it runs right through our garden. We had a fence around the garden, and it dragged the fence, took, tore the fence down, dragged the fence through the garden, trampled the garden, and ran off into the woods. And we're just thinking, what is happening? Where are these cows coming from? And we had a problem with cows for a few months. Well, what I, I didn't realize what, it, what really had happened until one day I went down to the lake, and I hadn't been down to the lake in a while. And at one point early on in the process, that fence that was running through the water, I had gone out and taken part of the fence. It was a barbed wire fence. I didn't see any purpose for it. It's in the water. And I took part of the fence down so we could have access to the lake. But what I hadn't thought of the fact is that when we bought our property, the water was as high as it had ever been. And we got into a drought for three or four years. 
So the water receded and basically dried up in that part of the lake. And our neighbor had cows. So those cows, when the water went down, they saw an opening in the fence and they came across on dry land. Walked right across onto our property and had problems. We had problems for a few months. But see, there was a problem is that I wasn't thinking when I took the fence down of why somebody had put it up in the first place. And when the conditions were right, the cows got out. See, I wasn't thinking that the fence was there to keep the cows where they were supposed to be. And that illustration has taught me a few lessons um, in fence, in, with fences and in pastoring. And the first lesson I learned is that fences are protection, not prevention. You see, all I considered when I took the fence down was that, is what we were missing. We wanted access to the lake. But when a fence comes down, there's access both ways. Yes, it may gain you some access, but you don't get to control everything that comes in either. And it never dawned on me what a missing fence might let in. The pressure says, take it down because it will open things up for your ministry. But it works both ways. It may open some things up, but it may also let some things in that we weren't counting on. See, the pressure of the unproven is trying to convince us that offense is prevention. It's preventing you from having fun. It's preventing you from really exploding in growth. It's preventing, it's preventing. But the pressure of the proven tells us that offense is protection. And I'm not saying we're trying to pe keep people out, but I think we ought to be careful before we start taking fences down because they're not just prevention, they're protection. In many churches, the cows are out. See, what seemed like a move to relieve pressure has actually increased the pressure. See, in a family, uh, be careful not to be so quick to take fences down because those standards or those house rules are there for protection, not prevention. Dads and moms, be careful. Kids, be thankful that your parents love you enough to put some fences up. They're not trying to keep you from having fun. They're trying to keep you from, they're trying to keep you in a place where you can live an abundant Christian life. Amen. And it's hard to see that when you're young, but I'm just telling you, it's the truth. Remember this point, folks, when it comes to church standards, when it comes to rules and guidelines, and you may not agree with all of it, but appreciate that there's a place that still believes in some fences in order to protect what we have with our children's ministry guidelines or trustee expectations or if you're a teacher and you have some expectations on you. Listen, it's not a bad thing to, to have some expectations that are higher than the, the norm. Those fences are there for protection, not just prevention. The second lesson I learned is that once one fence comes down, others are sure to follow. See, that cow trampled our garden and tore down the fence that was meant to protect the garden. But once that first fence and the water came down, another one followed. But I didn't get to choose the second fence. See, cows are running through a lot of youth groups and churches that used to be very similar to ours because at some point somebody said, we need to appeal to more young people. So they loosened some things 
due to pressure, and now the garden's being trampled. Cows are running through a lot of music programs in churches that used to be a lot like ours because they wanted music that sounded a lot more like the culture or what people would prefer instead of simply aiming to please the Lord. And once the first fence comes down, you have a lot less control over what happens next. And cows are running through families. As kids get older, you have a tendency to make allowances to keep them happy or have, help them to have a good attitude. And, but once that family's parents, once that first post comes down, we're chasing cows and we probably won't be able to catch them all. Sometimes it's not so much about one fence being right or wrong as it is trying to predict what will happen once one comes down. Another lesson I learned was that fixing fences is a lot harder than taking them down. A few months after that cow problem stopped, I was back down at the lake. We didn't know how it stopped or why, it just did. But I was down at the lake and I realized the fence had been mended. It had been repaired. And that's when I knew what had happened. Our, Our neighbor was as tired of chasing cows as I was. His cows. But see, when we take down fences, it's usually it costs it will cost somebody else down the road. He, he incurred loss because of my decision. When we take down fences, it affects not just us. We're not the only ones who have to deal with the effects. We need to think when we're t- talking about the fences that we build in our lives and in our church, we need to think about the next generation. I mean, what we got from those who proved it, these are clear fences, strong boundaries. They stood there with scars and they handed us something. But what are we leaving? I mean, if we allow the pressure to convince us to remove some fences that they set up, what's my son going to get from me? What am I going to have to, to hand to the next generation? Will there be any fences left? Will someone have to come behind and clean up my mess? Will there be anything distinctive left to protect? See, someday someone will think of me when they see a fence. It will, and will I, in their mind, am I going to be saying, oh, it's just a fence. Don't worry about it. Or in, in, my, in their mind, are they going to see my face and hear my voice saying, listen, others that proved it. Set this thing up. And until you have a better or a.k.a. a more biblical reason, assume it's the right fence. If for no other reason, because you've been assured of the one who put it there. See, I've received a lot from my dad, my father-in-law, from my mentors, guys who aren't perfect. But I'm persuaded because their lives have proven it. So who am I to think that submitting to unproven pressure and reaching over the fence will leave me better than continuing in the things that I've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom I've learned them? See, I don't begrudge the pressure they're proven. I'm thankful for it because as the unproven pressure increases, and it will, it shall wax worse and worse. I need the balance. We need the balance. As it waxes worse and worse, we need the voices to counter the pressure that most certainly will just get hotter. And church member, listen, you need the pressure too. So don't begrudge a pastor who might challenge you sometime at some time to rise to the occasion in some area. 
Because the world is saying, take the easy way out. But when it comes to God, He deserves our very best. Don't begrudge that. Make sure that you have the right approach or the right mindset when it comes to somebody driving you or helping you to take a step in the right direction. I mean, if it's done in the right spirit and you know they love you, don't begrudge it. Don't begrudge a church position that seems too tight. So I think we maintain some good standards, but I think we also do it with a good spirit. And don't begrudge it. Don't look at those fences like they're obstacles. View them as protection. Because once one comes down, others are going to follow, and it's much harder to fix a fence than to take one down. And that cultural pressure is strong, both in our church, in our families. But the example of the proven ones tells me the fences I've been handed are worth continuing in. And I'd better be convinced from God's word before I decide to start taking them down. So what's some application? Well, don't be too quick to kick down fences. Parents, don't do it until you understand why they're there and what might happen if they come down. Because there's temptation, there's pressure. But don't be quick. Make sure you think about it before you, before you take one down. Another application is be thankful for the fences that you have. Young people, be thankful your parents love you enough to put up fences. Because right now all it seems is a restriction, but it's protection. And they do it to protect you, not make you miserable. Third, refuse to be part of the unproven pressure. Church member, don't be part of the pressure on the outside trying to push down the fences, even here at Eastside Baptist Church. Amen. There's enough pressure. I mean, we're, we're under pressure. I mean, have a good spirit. Embrace the pressure of the proven. We are who we are in large part because we've kept some fences. What are we going to be if they come down? I mean, we'll be just like everybody else. And then for those that are looking for something different than what they find in all the other churches, if they ever come into Eastside Baptist Church and they say, oh, this is just like all the other ones, then we have failed in our duty to continue in. And I don't even know how to apply all these things. I just want you to know from my heart, that's how I look at ministry. That's how I view what I've, been re- what I've received. It's no small thing to me to take down a fence that somebody that I've been assured of and I've watched and they've proven themselves, it's no small thing to me to take a fence down that, that they put up. Unless God convinces me of, of it in a major way from his word, in a deliberate major way, uh, I plan to stay right where we are. And I hope that you will too. So don't be, don't be so quick to kick down fences. Be thankful for the fences you have and then refuse to be part of the faction that's part of the unproven pressure trying to get us to change things when sometimes those fences are what keep us distinct in a, in a religious culture where everything else looks the same. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I appreciate your attention tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.